Hey, this is Jen. Before we get started with today's show, I have a quick ask of you. If the show has helped you in any way, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. Let us know what you think. Let us know what's helped you. Let us know what you want more of, what you want less of. But just take a couple minutes to do that. It would mean a ton to me and it'll help us get better and better in the future. I really do want to hear from you. You've heard me talk about the badge of busy on the WorkWell podcast before. The badge of busy is when you wear and communicate your busyness as a badge of honor, valuing a fully booked schedule over intentional time off for yourself and your loved ones. We often think that busyness and productivity go hand in hand, but the truth is that taking time off is one of the most overlooked tools we have to stimulate creativity, innovation, and focus, not to mention taking care of our own well-being. And we aren't just talking about vacations. Time off can come in many forms. So I ask, when was the last time you intentionally took some time off? This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with John Fitch and Max Frenzel, luminaries in the art and science of why we all need to create a rest ethic that matches our work ethic. And they are the co-authors of the book, Time Off. John and Max, welcome to the show. John and Max, and I want to hear from both of you on this, um, you know, because I'm I'm fascinated by your stories um, and how you kind of individually became passionate about time off um, and then kind of how your worlds intersected with one another ultimately <laughs> to write this amazing book that you have. So, so John, I'll start with you. Sure. Well, I think like a lot of people that resonate with our book, there's a breaking point and uh, I used to believe the only way to be successful was quantity of input uh, equaled quality of output. And I for sure am a recovering workaholic. And I just totally believe the idea that I had to always be working. And in one week, I had both a startup fail and my relationship of many years end. And it was a very humbling, uh, dark week. And uh, then, without going into the details of that maelstrom of <laughs> sorrow, um, I had an opportunity through my vulnerability of sharing with people that, you know, I I didn't know what was next. I had some mentors reach out to me and said, hey, want to move to New York and start a venture firm together? And I was looking for a change. And so I did that. And little did I know that when we started the company, I thought we were going to talk about project plan, the the funds we were going to raise, you know, all of the the work. (laughs) But the, the first weekend together, we spent the whole time talking about culture this was not by my decision. I was outnumbered by the other two. And we spent the whole time talking about our culture. And it was very uncomfortable for me. And when I kept trying to change the subject to, no, no, let's talk about the work and what we're going to do. Uh, uh, Bettina Warburg, who I have to give credit to, looked at me in a very kind way. And she said, John, how has being being that way worked out for you lately? And And so I just kind of put my tail between my legs and followed along. And we ultimately decided that time off and intentional rest was going to be a huge part of our culture. Mm -hmm. 
And we would work three months on very focused, uh, building uh, software prototypes and uh, investing in other startups. And then after your three month time, you'd get a month off. And that was intentional uh, so that you could detach and rethink your position, have any epiphanies, and then come back refreshed, full of enthusiasm and better ways of working identified. And that was very foreign to me compared to my previous work experiences. And it was so meaningful that uh, on that first sabbatical, I really started questioning my relationship to work and leisure that then led to an ongoing fascination of the concept of time off i started a podcast and in my research for my early guest i came across this incredible uh, character online named max frenzel (laughs) (laughs) and and i read this article of his on medium about the uh, the absolute essential nature of of rest and he had summarized it with science in a way that I was kind of purely anecdotal leading to that point. And quite honestly, I was intimidated. And instead of running away, I said, well, I might as well have him on the podcast. And we had such a great conversation on the, on the podcast that we, we stayed in touch uh, back and forth. Um, and then ultimately, I wanted to ask if you'd want to write a book together. And so, um, yeah, I, I, can't, I come from being very uh, burnt out to a point of almost my life crumbling. And then luckily had some people expose me to um, the topic of, of time off as a pole to, as a part of culture. And that led now to, to kind of be the only thing I think about. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually come from a very different, almost the opposite kind of background on my way of getting to time off was the opposite. So when I did my PhD at Imperial College London, um, I did a PhD in physics and I was extremely lucky with the group I was in and the people I was working with. And I really owe a lot to my professors, David Jennings and Terry Rudolph, who's actually in the book, a profile on him. But they gave me all the freedom I wanted. Uh, Basically, it was a three-year deadline to finish my PhD. You get my PhD thesis done. But in between, I could do whatever I wanted. I could disappear from the country for several weeks without even asking anyone Mm. for permission. I could just not work for a week if I didn't feel like my mind was really in the research. But I knew when I come back to it, I would be so fresh and have so many amazing ideas. And at the same time as doing my research, I was doing a lot of other things. I co-founded a startup. I trained for ultra marathons. I had all sorts of creative projects going on the side. At the time, it just felt normal to me. Um, I barely worked. I never felt busy, but I got a lot of stuff done. But then once I finished my PhD, I decided to leave academia and join the startup world as an AI researcher. And slowly and gradually, I was just dragged into this startup hustle and busyness and grinding things out. I didn't even notice. And I didn't really notice that anything was wrong until I took a really slow trip through. So I'm living in Japan and I took this 10 day trip on only local trains through the mountains here in Japan. I just thought it would be nice to have a nice holiday. I didn't think I need to escape from anything or get away from the grind. But during that time, it really hit me. And it was one particular day where I realized just sitting in the mountains, like looking out at this beautiful landscape that damn, never in my life have I felt more busy 
but at the same time also less productive and creative and that's really when i realized okay something's wrong like i used to be so both creative and productive but also never stressed like what's changed why is this not my reality anymore and that's what started me thinking about this whole topic so i really come from the opposite end i experienced a time of thirst but then ended up forgetting about it and my way of getting back at it or trying to sort of reconcile that with the startup lifestyle i still thought i liked my job and it was a nice job in many ways even though the culture was maybe not right but trying to bring back what i felt i had lost uh that's what started me writing about the topic and well that's eventually how i ended up meeting john and how we ended up writing that book together so john i have to ask you and you you touched on it a little bit you know this this first one month sabbatical that you took were the first was the first week or two weeks was it weird <laughs> did you know what to do with yourself <laughs> oh so it, it was it was very weird i um and and my my mentors um gave me some some books to read ahead of time and, and we kind of talked about it because they were preparing their time off as well and and so i kind of got to watch them do that with in, in a lot of intention and so I had a I had a bit of exam- positive examples leading up mm-hmm. to it, but yeah, it was. I got a one way ticket to Berlin, and <laughs> and uh, and then I, you know, I they told me like have a question or or something I'm seeking, <laughs> and it was mm. very meta. It was very very meta, Jen. I, I I I said I want to understand what quality time off means, mm. and and so I kind of felt like a investigator or a journalist all summer. I mean, I had an amazing time, and I. Um, I ultimately landed in, in in Greece, which I think was the real moment where I visited this uh, island of, of, of Akaria, which I had read about in one of the books my partners gave me called Blue Zones. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a place with a lot of yeah. really old people, a lot of longevity, and uh, with so many stories summarized, you know, I got exposed to this idea of a separate form of time. Most people listening to this know the concept of Kronos, so Mm -hmm. the watches on our hands, minutes, seconds, deadlines, et cetera. Uh, It has its purpose and its utility, don't get me wrong, but the the ancient Greeks also saw a separate form of time called Kairos, uh, which was more about the opportune time, the density of a moment, not necessarily uh, this, you know, linear time that we can stress ourselves out. And so I had some hosts from Akaria that were basically like, look, if you oversubscribe to Kronos, you're going to be stressed out, which means you're going to have high cortisol levels and you're going to not have longevity. <laughs> and, and hanging out with people that don't really pay attention to clocks uh, is quite refreshing. And it wasn't that they had it right. It was just that they looked at time differently and they waited mm-hmm. for the opportune moment. They allowed themselves to be open instead of just completely obsessed with uh, seconds, minutes and hours and um, in a humbling moment, my host, she asked me, when, I, when did I have all my greatest ideas as an entrepreneur and a technologist? And when I sat down and finally reflected, it was in the rare moments that I took time off. You know, I was detached. I wasn't at my desk. It was, I was doing something else. And then it was like the universe just gifted me an idea. And then, of course, I had to go work on it. Um, but yeah, I would say this uh, moment in Greece when I finally kind of caught my stride um, and I didn't really have a choice. I happened to be in an area of Greece where you can't really find watches and clocks. And so that force function allowed me to to, to really rethink uh, my past, but look forward to a new way of looking at time. 
It's yeah. funny, Greece actually has quite a strong impact on the book in many ways. I actually also spent three months in Greece writing my mm. final PhD thesis and it was extremely leisurely. And we actually opened the book, or not directly, but uh, looking at ancient Greece and how we ended up forgetting what they valued so highly, this idea of noble leisure that originally came from Aristotle. And maybe one thing we should say, we wrote a book about time off, but it's not a book about being lazy. Right. Uh, and in the ideas of like Aristotle, leisure was actually at the highest level of this hierarchy, which he considered. So at the bottom was rest. And a lot of people today confuse rest with leisure. And it's definitely a space for rest, but rest always asks the question, rest for what? And it's usually the answer is, well, to support more work. And then work is sort of at the middle of the hierarchy. It's necessary, but it's only there to support this highest of ideals, this noble leisure. And that's really anything that fills us with meaning. And we use this noble leisure idea as almost like a guiding light throughout the book. Like, And that's also what we recommend to people when they think about what should I do with my time off? Think about what fills your life with meaning, what gives you this sense of purpose. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of flow and flow states. And that's really an amazing form of time off because at the same time, you're very active, but it's still extremely energizing. And usually you get into a flow state when you're engaged in something that does fill you with meaning. So we really encourage people to look for this idea of noble leisure in their life. Yeah, and I, I, I love that you know, noble leisure, you know, intentional time off, right? Don't take time. Off. I mean, you can take time off for the sake of taking time off. There's a place for that. But, but yeah. that, you know, being intentional about, um, you know, what you're doing with your time off. So how has society's view of time off changed throughout history? And, and, and why do you think that is like, what are the drivers of that? Where, where do we start, Max? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it did start, well, it started way back before we even had civilization and all of that. Um, and there's a lot of good arguments for the fact that actually humans did not work very hard, like only a couple of hours of work every day sustained the average hunter-gatherer and the rest of the time was really there for leisure, whatever that might have looked like in those days. But then forward to well, ancient Greece and Rome, that was really where leisure was celebrated as something uh, you should aspire to. And people who had to work hard were not considered successful, which is really kind of the opposite of where we have it today. Then a lot of things happened in between, but especially sort of around 17th century, that's kind of where this cultural perception of leisure really started to shift. There was a lot of things in between as well with our perception of time, things becoming more timed people working together across larger projects, you had to coordinate things and you had to actually have some shared sense of time. But then eventually what really made the biggest difference probably was this, well, Protestant work ethic. And it was making like elevating work to this sacred thing that we still think today in some ways it is. And it was really just using religion as an excuse or as a cover for this idea of making work the most important thing. And it it was really just a bunch of rich people, the upper classes, being worried that the poorer people wouldn't know what to do with their leisure time if they were given too much of it. So instead of having them drunk and rioting, they just used religion as this cover story for, hey, 
God gave you this valuable time on planet Earth. Don't waste it. Work for his sake. Um, and then over the centuries, we did end up forgetting this idea of the sacred and so the religious association in some way. But we never forgot about this relation of uh, guilt we have with not working, mm. sort of leisure or slacking off or time off as a sin almost. We don't think in a religious terms, or at least most of us don't think in those terms anymore. But the feeling is still deeply there. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. And one thing we really want to address, getting rid of that guilt people associate with not working and reframing it instead as seeing time off as an investment into your productivity and into your creativity. Because soon that's the only thing that's going to be left. I mean, AI and automation are taking over more and more and no one, no matter how hard they work or many, how many hours they put in is going to out busy the machines. But we should just accept that and actually celebrate it because mm -hmm. that frees us up to focus on creativity and empathy and those things that make us really human and also give us meaning in our lives. So I think it should be quite obvious why business leaders should really deeply care about that. Everyone prides themselves on like how innovative a company they are, but few people actually really do the work to foster a culture of innovation, which should also be a culture of time off. And another concept we talk about a lot in the book is this idea of a rest ethic. Mm -hmm. Everyone is kind of aware of work ethic and a lot of people pride themselves in their work ethic. And that's good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But we suggest that you should supplement that with an equally well-established rest ethic. And we like to think of those two things actually as sort of a inhale and exhale. So that the work ethic is the inhale. It's getting things done. It's going down your task list. Um, but you can only keep inhaling for so long. And a lot of people have forgotten that. They try to keep inhaling, inhaling, inhaling. And that's how we get to burnout. Especially right now, it's a huge issue with like all the boundaries disappearing mm -hmm. between work and rest. Um, it's very, like a lot of people struggle as a result. And now more than ever, they need this rest ethic. They need to really take their rest as seriously as their work and pride themselves in it. And we also call it rest ethic because it's not always easy as probably everyone right now has realized. Doing like resting well and taking that seriously actually counterintuitively takes quite a bit of work or at least takes quite a bit of thinking yeah. and preparation. For example, it's probably the advice that everyone's giving right now, but it is very true. You should really schedule your rest just like you schedule a work meeting and be just as serious about actually committing to it because otherwise it's not going to materialize. Also, good rest is not the same as just mindlessly, I don't know, swiping down on Instagram or something. Good rest is much more deliberate um, and it's really about being conscious of how you use your time and again ideally it comes back to the idea of noble leisure and filling your life or your time off with meaningful activities those are the ones that really give you a lot of detachment from your work and that's really what you're looking for and they also just energize you overall again well and you got into my ne next question which was going to be about the coinciding of, of work ethic and, and rest ethic and and you know ever since I read the book and have been talking about the concept of rest ethic you know everybody is just grateful that we have something to name it 
right, <laughs> you know, right. there's something, you know, we, we, we can define it in some way. And it just really, it resonated with me, which is probably why I can't stop talking about it. But it seems to no. be resonating with, with everybody that I talk to about it. And so, John, I'm going to put you on the spot and Max, you're next, but I'm going to give you a couple minutes to think about it. Can you share your personal rest ethics with us? Yeah, that's awesome. And look, I'm probably more on the the range of a, a type A personality. I like to achieve. I like to make things. Um, I like I like I like working. Um, and so, what was important for me in the book, which has changed my life regarding rest ethic, is I, I gave it a vocabulary. Uh, in the book, we have a chapter on the creative process and time off. And there's four phases uh, that all of us experience in a creative expression. There is preparation, incubation, illumination, verification. Uh, the, the middle two, um, incubation and illumination, you have to detach from the actual work to have happen. And now that I have words for it, I can still let my type A personality, when I go do a, a rest ethic activity, mm. I, I can not feel guilty. I can say, oh, I'm incubating. I'm going to go incubate because I, I do feel like a, a point. I feel you, it's, my it's friend. Ho- it's- You're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully some others some others resonate that. You know, use that with your team. Like, hey, it's time for some incubation time. Or, hey, you know what? Uh, Jen, it's time. Why don't you go incubate on that for a while? And then, you, um, but you know, I well, I have changed a lot of my uh, rest ethic. I used to work in these uh, cycles that I mentioned earlier of uh, a few months of just like really focused uh, quality work ethic, um, and then give myself these extended forms of time off. Whereas now my my season in life has has changed. For example, I have two. Uh, puppies now. Uh, I know that that's not anything close to having children, but um, you know it's a little bit of you know new responsibility put into my lap, and so um, it's very cute responsibility too. <laughs> and and I had to change my oscillation between that inhale and exhale, and and so now my time off is more micro practices. So I I have a few things in the morning. I have a very intentional. Uh, uh, I call it reflection practice. So I follow uh, this, I read this book called How to Think Like a, a Roman Emperor. It's all about stoicism and there's a, a several journal prompts. And so I have this sort of stillness in the morning where I have some tea and I go through that uh, reflection exercise, which always helps me get to like some kind of essentialism, could be related to work, could be in my personal life, but it kind of sets the tone and lets me reorient and uh, define what matters to me uh, at that time. So that's uh, non-negotiable. Uh, bef- you know, I don't immediately default to inbox. I don't let the world come to me. I have a moment where I objectively at a very high altitude observe, observe the world. And that's a micro practice that is very consistent. And then uh, I, I also kind of shut things down on the weekend. So I work on computers a lot. I mean, we all do now because of virtual. But uh, lately on the weekends, I just try to get away from screens as much mm. uh, as possible. And time kind of slows down. I let myself get bored in a way. I, I say that in a positive way. Uh, so this last weekend, I was like practicing calligraphy. I'm really terrible at it, but I was trying. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was meditative. And then Max knows I, I love cooking. I think all of us on here love cooking. And uh, I'll, I'll like spend kind of all day preparing one meal, meaning I go and forage or uh, go to a farmer's market to get the, 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 the goods and then really kind of take my time making a meal 
Um, and so those are things that, again, they're not profound, but uh, they're a part of my schedule and I protect them. They are deliberate. And then I make sure on all of these time off practices, whatever yours are as well. Um, so we mentioned that creative process, there's incubation then followed by illumination. It's important. I would say, Hey, if I was to make a, uh, 3.5 version, if I was to add an interstitial, it would be integration. And so we have these ahas, we have these epiphanies in our time off, but it's important to document it and mm. to, and to think how you're going to put it into practice. And I have this little concept of, um, lessons identified versus lessons learned. And so my time off will help me identify a lesson, but I have to like uh, either uh, document a new protocol or behavior or I'm eliminating something and then it's learned. Then I can say it, it's learned. And so that's something I, it's really important for all of us to think about is your time off practices, your rest act is going to give you perspective. It really will. And it's important to document it and then implement it. Otherwise, it's epiphany that's just kind of gone in the wind. Hmm. I have some follow-up questions, but Max, I want to hear from you first. <laughs> so, John, what you said about vocabulary, I think, was very true. And especially, it's probably the best way for, as you said, kind of type A personalities to understand this and me included there. Time off, if you frame it right, it's really an investment in getting more stuff done and achieving more. It's not detracting from it. And I hope that with all the profiles in the book, we actually highlight a lot of people who were extremely successful because of time off, not in spite of it. Also, another thing I should probably say, at least speaking for myself, but I'm pretty sure it's true for John as well. We wrote this book about time off, but even for us, improving our rest ethic, sticking to our rest ethic. It's still a daily struggle, especially right now in those changing times. Um, but for me, probably the most constant things that I've had in my life for a very long time, um, I think even before we even started writing the book, my mornings and evenings for me are very special. I, I get up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee, and then I sit down with a book and a notebook and just read for an hour and take notes. So my mornings are reserved for uh, reading nonfiction. And only after that do I slowly turn on my electronic devices. Um, and similarly, in the evening, an hour before going to bed, I switch off everything electronic. And again, I sit down with a book, but this time with fiction, just to kind of switch off my mind and get myself ready to go to sleep and prepare myself for dreaming almost. In between, it really varies quite a bit. It changes over time. As John said, it kind of changes with the season of your life you're in, but it also changes a lot um, depending on the projects I'm working on. Um, and it really, there's different kinds of cycles. So when we're still working on the book, I reserved my mornings for purely output and purely writing, and then focus the afternoon of my main uh, day job. Uh, now it's a little bit different. Now I'm more focused on like spending the whole day on my main job but then like in between having these pockets of working on book related things or also uh, having these different rest activities and for me there's many different things like I, I really enjoy running um, or exercise in general like any form of exercise yeah. it can be a hard workout at the gym it can be running also it's different modes 
how hard I want to go. And like some of this more meditative, others is actually a way of kind of moving and at the same time thinking about a problem. But when I feel really stuck with something, going for a run is extremely helpful for me to reset and come back in a way refreshed and see the problem in a new way. So it really like my subconscious mind, I give it some time to incubate and think about the problem. But then there's more um, kind of smaller things. I, I produce music. So if I just feel like I need a little bit of a break, I just play around with some music for a couple of minutes. Mm. Um, that often actually refreshes me. Again, it's kind of getting your brain completely detached from the problem you're actually working on onto something else that really needs your full attention. But that actually well resets your brain on the original problem or makes you subconscious uh just view it in a completely different way. You kind of zoom out and creativity. And I guess as knowledge workers, we're all in some way creative workers, whether we realize that or not. Creativity is all about connecting the dots. If you're stuck with your head all the time in the problem, you're not going to connect the distant, the interesting dots. You're just going to be connecting nearest neighbor dots and come up with stale and boring ideas. So anything that can get your mind out of it um, is really valuable. Just one more thing I really enjoy, especially now that we're working based basically from home all the time. I've been into baking sourdough bread for a very, very long time. And I realized recently a lot of people got into it as well because the flour is sold out everywhere. Um, but that's a really nice process for me because I have these very scheduled breaks. Like I do something for a couple of minutes on the bread, then I let it sit for an hour. Then I again do something for a couple of minutes, kneading it or whatever needs to be done. Um, and I can get back to work. But it's this very scheduled interval of okay i know i've got one hour to work and then i've got these 15 minutes off um working on the bread it's almost meditative but this clear cycle is very very productive for me and this hour in between is actually some of my most productive time in a way mm. so those are just some of the things i have in my rest ethic but as i said it's constantly changing and it's co a constant learning and improvement process so, so what I took from all of that is that you were making sourdough bread before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to say it that way, but that was basically what I was trying to get it. <laughs> so, you know, in, in listening to both of you, neither one of you mentioned some sort of grand vacation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Max, you, you talked about, you know, your, your, practice of reading fiction in the evening to help you prepare for sleep, but neither one of you directly talked about sleep. Mm. And right. know, what I'm getting at is I think when most people think of time off or rest, they think mm. of vacation and sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, so discuss, please. <laughs> yeah. So I, you, you, you caught on to, I mean, early on in discussions when Max was like, yeah, let's write a book together. Then there was this funny like week or two where we're like, kind of like tapping our fingers like, okay, uh, what do we write about? <laughs> and, um, and well, you know, in our early discussions, we were like, we want to make sure to expand the connotation of time off. Because as we found out in early interviews, just asking people and just day to day, people default and to no fault other than culture to vacation. And it's, it's a yes, but, and it's also these other mm. types of, of time off. And to me, that's what our, our real goal was to expand the definition of it so that people could realize uh, their intentional practice, their rest ethic could be 
more achievable, even if you have a work culture that maybe isn't so uh, generous with vacation time, knowing that there is still so much in your control. Um, Of course, we've got some awesome ideas in the book on how to take (laughs) vacation to another level and call them like micro vacations or micro retirement. Um, I'm all for that. But, you know, it's we we would be naive uh, and ignorant to think that that's the only way to get the benefits. You know, there's these micro practices. Um, I know I know you're uh, familiar with uh, Ariana Huffington's work, mm-hmm. and I think she calls them micro steps. And yes. I, I think that's brilliant. Um, and, and so it was a book on like time off micro steps, if you will. Um, there's some macro steps in there, too. But I think Max and I over time have become more champions of, of those smaller doses, those micro doses mm-hmm. of time off, because they start, uh, it's like any behavior change. You know, if you have a simple, small uh, goal, you achieve it, and then you kind of want more and you want to push it further and further. And so I've found that it, it just more micro practices of time off has also increased my ideation of some more macro time off practices. I mean, this summer after we launched our book, I still needed to work. But I realized that, well, I can kind of work differently. So my entire summer, I was out camping uh, out west. I'm normally in, in Texas, but I was out in the, in the western parts of the United States where I spent most of my day, if people were to objectively look at my calendar, they think I'm, a, I'm like a hiking bum that's going out on adventures. But I was you know, fitting in meaningful work. But uh, what was first and foremost was like adventure and leisure. And I gained that confidence because of my micro time off practices. And again, we are all in different seasons of life. I know friends that are young parents right now, not, not dog parents like me, like human parents. <laughs> and, and um, you know, their time off practices have to be a lot more micro. Hmm. Yeah, just to add a few thoughts to that. So first of all, when we wrote the book, we wanted, or we, we still believe that there is no one size fits all approach to how you design your rest ethic and what kind of leisure and time off activities are valuable to you. And everyone has to answer that for themselves. And for some people, that might be the big vacation, that might be the main thing that actually is part of their rest ethic. Although I think that's more rather unlikely. Um, but kind of to what John said about these micro habits and this idea of micro dosing of time off almost, one of my favorite profiles in the book is on Hermann Hesse. Uh, he was a German mm. poet and novelist. And he essentially said, if you can't enjoy the little moments, uh, if you can't enjoy those little things in life, the big ones like the big vacation, they will feel great in a moment, but afterwards they might leave you even more empty so it's almost like you have to prepare yourself or train yourself with those micro practices to actually make full use of those bigger practices Mm. those bigger occasions he said something wonderful we have the quote in a book i think it was like someone who for the first time picks up a flower on his way to work makes a big step towards joy right when we think about joy or time off or as you said we always think of these grand things long adventure vacation or something but we should really start seeking much smaller things just see something that brings a joy to you and actually note it down that's a really good practice just like if you can every day write down free things that kind of make you smile that's a great uh, rest practice and kind of micro time off practice so yeah start small and then build up to the bigger things there's absolutely nothing wrong with the vacation now on the sleep side i think 
that's actually the one universal thing that probably mm. everyone should have in their rest ethics. So maybe we didn't mention it more specifically earlier. It's just because it's so universal. And I know I'm absolutely terrible. Like if I get less than seven hours of sleep, my next mm -hmm. day is completely useless. If I get less than eight hours, it's not going to be an amazing day. I need my eight to nine plus hours to be really happy. And you rested. and me both. <laughs> Awesome. And I think, again, a lot of leaders should actually really take this much more seriously because yeah. I think we probably all know a terrible leader who's very reactive, um, doesn't listen to their team properly. It's just a pain to work with. Often those are exactly the same people who pride themselves in how little sleep they need and how they're grinding things out all the time and how busy they are, right? So I think to be an effective leader. My team says that about me when they know I'm not getting enough sleep. So. <laughs> well, at least you understand it yourself. <laughs> they, so. they tell me to go to bed. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. So yeah, I think sleep is probably the one universal thing that everyone yeah. should have as part of their rest ethic. And most of us are just not getting enough of it. Yeah. In some ways, I think you answered what I was going to ask you next. What do you say to the people who say, I don't have time for time off, or I don't have time for rest, or I don't have time for sleep? Hmm. I, my, my, if I'm going to look, look at it through the lens of, of the book, um, the chapter that has been resonating with me a lot post book launch is the reflection chapter. Hmm. And yeah, if you don't have, if you feel like you don't have the time, then that means someone else has your time. Is that culture? Is that your, your boss? Is that, you know, what is it? Uh, identify that first. And then second, you can, you can peel back the onion and, and do you feel trapped? Do you feel like you have a lot of meaning? Are you creating space for the things that bring you meaning? And, you know, those hard questions that you can sit with for a long period of time with yourself, uh, I think is, is, is the first step. So yeah. if you don't have time, I would ask them, well, why don't you have time? Let's like write that out. Uh, what is keeping you away from it? Is it truly external? Like <laughs> you're being forced to not be able to have time off. Uh, is it because you and your, your partner haven't found a, a way to co-parent uh, more successfully? Have you not requested that you need time off? Therefore, it's kind of your own fault. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reflections one can do. And that would be my, my first step. And one of my favorite activities from our reflection chapter, I do this all the time, both in my personal life as well as professional and on various scopes uh, and altitudes. And it is a more of, less of list. So I identify what are things I want more of in my life it's typically time off or rest ethic like things, you know, deeper connections with certain people, more creative expression. But then I also talk about what I want less of. And so those are things that don't make me feel good in, in my life. And when I do that, it makes it very clear what's on the left side of the paper and what's on the right side of the paper. And, and you start realizing a lot of it's actually in your field of influence. You just haven't, you know, identified it and therefore uh, done something mm -hmm. about it. So yeah, I, if someone really feels that way, uh, you can email me. It's John at Time Off Book, and I'm, I'd be happy to walk through an exercise. I mean, anyone who feels trapped. Oh, I love that uh, answer. I, I'm going to yeah. say email this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I have a lot of uh, reflection prompts because I, I, I empathize. I've, I have felt trapped, yeah. Um, yeah. but I was trapping myself, 
And I, I have a feeling most people are, are doing the same or they haven't um, had the courage yet to speak up to maybe an externality that is keeping mm. them away from it and uh, happy to, to help. Yeah, I think you got that completely right. I don't really have much to add, but <laughs> just one thing on the reflection side as well. I think one issue about understanding how important time off is, is a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, actually, because you only really realize how much you need time off once you start taking the time off to mm. reflect or just to get away from things. Only that's when it hits you how busy you actually are, how much problems that busyness is causing. And just one other exercise, which I think is very interesting, and I think that actually comes from John as well. Um, it's ask yourself the simple question, is all my hard work actually working? And it seems like a very trivial question at the beginning, but if you do the work and just sit down with it for, let's say, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you might actually get very deep and uncover some things that might be a bit uncomfortable, but really will get you ahead. And also maybe reflect on when do you actually feel the most accomplished? I can say for myself, from my own experience, I don't feel the most accomplished on my busiest days. Those days are just, I forget them again after, well, maybe still on the same evening. The okay. days where I really in the evening look back and think, yes, okay, I made a really big breakthrough. This was a very important day. I really achieved something. I actually often didn't work all that much. It was maybe just two, three, four hours at most. Uh, maybe I was even out in nature hiking or something, but I had a key breakthrough idea. And then I sat down for an hour afterwards to just integrate it. But those big breakthroughs rarely come on those busy days. So reflect mm -hmm. for yourself when do you feel the most accomplished? And then try and get more of that in your life. And chances are that will automatically bake some more time off into your life. Yeah, and I'm going to add to that, Max. You just inspired me that all of us have to think about where um, work work is heading even. And right. Max and I, Max more than I, but we've both spent a decent amount of time in the world of artificial intelligence and the commercialization of it. And if you are doing machine-like work, so I'm going to say anything that takes 10 seconds or five seconds or less of your thought to execute, that's likely a workflow or a task that a machine, if it's not already doing better, uh, will do better very soon. Yet, if, you, if you've heard all of us on this um, interview talk about these breakthrough moments, these aha moments, in a way, we're, we're artists. We're like designers. We... Yeah. Our, our, the value we produce isn't output like a machine. It's like a, in, we invent something out of thin mm -hmm. air, like an artist. And in a future where we're all more artist-like, uh, our book will show you this, but you know, just watch a bunch of documentaries on, on artists of any medium. And their non-working time is essential for their breakthroughs. And yeah. so in the future of work, uh, where we're all artists, see these micro practices of time off as like you're upskilling yourself for, for kind of what's left for us humans as the machines uh, execute the mundane much more effectively. Yeah, it, it's similar. I mean, you hear athletes say that as well, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, their breakthroughs in terms of their athletic performance come after they've been very intentional about what they do when they're not training, right? So in their time mm -hmm. off. Um, Actually, I yeah, love that you mentioned yeah. athletes there because 
they are the ones who already really take rest seriously yeah. and their mm -hmm. coaches really take rest extremely seriously and they know to perform at their best when it really matters they need to be very very strict and have a very good rest ethic essentially so I think top performers in all kinds of fields should compare themselves more with athletes. And I think that's already comparisons that happen, but somehow in the comparison, we often lose that rest component, but we should really look at like how serious those people take sleep, for example. Like, well, I, I think of airline pilots, right? Or truck right. drivers, or, you know, they force them to rest and, and get sleep because nobody wants to fly on a plane with a you know, sleep deprived pilot. I certainly don't. Totally. You know, when I get when I get back to flying, and that will come one day. I know it yeah. will. <laughs> yeah, it will. Jen, Jen, I have a question for you. Um, okay. You know, I, I in our early conversations, you definitely resonated with the like recovering workaholic that uh, yeah. we both we both resonate with that. Um, what would now that you have not only the knowledge of of our book, but so many other people that. Um, that love this topic and, and live this topic. If you were to talk to the former version of yourself that didn't see the value in time off as much that felt like they couldn't, they didn't have the time for it in your own words to that former version of yourself. I'm just curious, what kind of things would you say to that uh, older version uh, of Jen that was, was needing some uh, perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, um, subscribe to the thinking that I would have plenty of time to sleep when I was dead. Um, and, and I, and I think that, you know, that, that is taught to us in, mm. in many ways. And so, or at least it was with me, but, you know, I think slow down, um, you know, recognize the little things that light me up, um, that, that happen, you know, I think, without us taking notice most of the time because we are so busy. Um, but taking the time to, to recognize and to appreciate and, and celebrate those things. But I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, slow down, um, especially when it comes to work, but really a lot of aspects of life. I think things come when, when they're supposed to. And, you know, trying to force them or make them happen doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make them happen any sooner or any better or any faster or any quicker. And, and to be honest, it, it's a, it's a lesson I continue to learn. I, you know, I mean, even though I've been there, right, I'm better at recognizing it sooner when I'm trying to force something. Um, but it doesn't mean that I, I don't still try, <laughs> Um, but I, but I think, as a cancer survivor, as somebody who has been through burnout, um, it is cliche, but it is a hundred percent true. If we don't have our health, none of none of what we're talking about matters. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and being a cancer survivor, you know, being somebody who's been through chemotherapy, when when your body and your brain, you know, force you, you have no choice, <laughs> you know, but to rest because you you just can't physically or mentally do anything else. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing, Jen. That's that's really beautiful, and I think it just comes down to increasing our awareness through vocabulary. Like, I think we all feel these things, but giving it 
as much awesome words as we, as we have to like cool acronyms in the business yeah. world mm. and doing things, you know, I think we can make rest just as cool by, by dissecting it in, in the correct way and spotlighting its contribution to effectiveness. Absolutely. And I really think we have a shared mission. Thank you already for like all the amazing work you're doing. We really wrote this book for everyone, but who we really hope to reach are business leaders who can not only make a difference in their own life, but for their entire team and just change the culture we're living in. That would be the greatest thing for us to achieve. And Jen, we had talked about this um, when getting to to know each other for this. And to Max's point, um, if you are a leader and you're going to have a call tomorrow, likely uh, some kind of video call, you know, change things up. And instead of the typical like, oh, how was how was the weekend? And you get the typical just kind of robot response like, oh, it was good. It was, it was chill. Um, like go deeper, like actually yeah. ask each person on your team. Hey, uh, what do you do in your in, in your free time? Or what'd you get into this weekend? And, and don't let it stop after the surface level answer, like yeah. investigate further and ask them, like, well, you know, why, why do you do that? Why do you find so much meaning into it? And you'll see people's eyes light up because you're honoring what makes them them, what makes them interesting. And that any any of us that lead can can recognize like that is the lifeblood of creativity and enthusiasm. Like what else can you ask for of your team other than to have people show up with enthusiasm? And, and so by honoring people's time off practices, by just talking about them more, I'm not telling you to commit to a, a new time off policy yet, but just by being curious of your team's time off practices will uncover their interestingness. And therefore they might be able to, you might be able to bring that into work in a much more intentional way and feel less stressed or guilty when they are stepping away because you can recognize the value in it. And that starts just through a simple conversation. I love that. And it kind of brings us full circle because I think to be the leader who has this deeper conversation, has this empathetic connection to their team, you actually need a lot of time off in your rest. Because if you're not well rested, you're going to have a lot more resistance to even going deeper and having that conversation. So it's really a nice circle that we just discussed there. And and I can't think of a of a of a better way to end. So you know, thank you both Max and John so much for this incredible conversation. I know that um, I'm taking a lot away from it, as I did with your book, and will continue to learn from the two of you. Um, so I just appreciate your work and and the two of you so very much. Thank you awesome. so much for having yeah. us and, to, and for doing the amazing work you're doing. I'm so grateful John and Max could be with us to talk about all things time off. Thank you to our producers and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. <laughs>